on that note, would you open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5? We are going to be continuing in our Advent series. It won't actually conclude today, more or less will, um, but it'll actually conclude on Christmas Eve. I have a message that I'll bring on Christmas Eve, which is kind of a conclusion to this uh, message for today. I actually thought about uh, yesterday when the snow was coming down and the idea that some of you might be uh, texting and going, are we doing church tomorrow? That, that, that this message today might actually be, if it didn't happen, if today didn't happen, this message today might actually be one of those good, you know, January 1st messages. And so I hope you kind of see it in that way. It is, it is a, a conclusion to the series we've been in, per se, the light of the world, and those two key phrases that Jesus uh, uh, said that we've been looking into. But it's also, as I hope you will see in conclusion, my opportunity, our opportunity to encourage one another to go and be light in this world tomorrow and in 2022. So, as I said, with your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, um, we're going to look at the second of the two key verses that I'd mentioned in the very first message three weeks ago. The first one, of course, is when Jesus said in John 8, 12, that we looked at last week in depth when he said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we looked at that in depth last week, and we'll review some of the aspects of that in a minute. But then we also know that he later, as we will read this morning in Matthew chapter 5, he said this unusual thing to you and to me via his disciples on that day. And so read with me from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read our whole primary text for today. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray before we begin. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for today. I just thank you that you anoint and appoint these days, the first day of the week where we get to gather together as the church. And Lord, I, I thank you for that, the fact that it's happening here, yes, at the Rock Church, but Lord, I thank you that it's happening across Squamish and various other churches. I thank you, Lord, that that's happening in Vancouver and across Canada and the United States and across the world, where it is today Sunday. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that people are faithful. Men and women are faithful to show up and worship you. Sing your praises. To hear your word. To believe it. To trust it have faith that you are good. So, Holy Spirit, I pray today in a special way that you would, you would help me in this message today. Uh, communicate the thoughts, the words that you have spoken, but also that you've given to me, so that we all can be encouraged to be light in this very dark world. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, all I've got for you today is a sermon title, No Three Points. Your sermon title for today is the light shines. <laughs> so let me give us a, a, a brief, quick 
uh, update on where we've been in the past three weeks because I, I feel it's important today because we've been building to this point. I, I hope you've seen that. Um, and so a bit of a synopsis of the past week, three uh, weeks that's brought us to here. First of all, in week one, we considered First John, uh, his epistle, his letter, chapter five, uh, one, pardon me, verses five to seven. And our message then was titled, The Light Is... And so in that message, the, the whole point was to establish the fact of what John said later, as we'll see in his, in his text. But, but what he said is that God is light. And so the, the, the point was, it's not that God is like light or, or God has a flashlight that is a light unto our path, but that part of his character, part of his being, his essence is that he is light. And John also told us that he is spirit and that he is love. God is spirit, God is love, he is light. And, and so it's not like he's a third, third, third. And, and you and I, it's like we understand those kind of things that they're, okay, like I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm hopefully a pastor friend. And so we have these different aspects or attributes of our personalities and our characters, not so with God in this way. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are 100% spirit. They are love. They are light. And so that, that was huge for us to be able to. The big takeaway, of course, was in relation to that, was that, that God, of course, is not comparable to the light that we see in this world, but he is transcendent light. He is beyond that in many, many ways. And what we learned were two specific things about God's light. First, it means that he is the preeminent intellect and mind in the world. And so his light has to do with his knowledge, which is omniscient, which is omnipotent, which is total about all things. And so no matter what you and I are struggling with, whatever it is that we're trying to figure out, which is right, wrong, true, not true, he knows. All the time he knows. And so he can be trusted, either via his word, which is pretty complete, by the way, on those subjects, or via the Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds, and often usually from the Word. But what is true on virtually any given subject? Secondly, it refers to His absolute perfect purity and holiness. And that's why, of course, in the text that we looked at in 1 John 1, 5-7, John says he is absolutely untouched by darkness. In him, there is no darkness at all. That would be important for us to remember today. In week two, we turned our focus to Jesus and his incarnation. And the message at that point was, or the title was, The Light Has Come. And we looked at the first 18 verses of John chapter 1 and learned the beautiful truth that it is our creator God, the word who was with God, the Logos, who breathed, spoke creation into existence, that creator God who created all of that out there those beautiful mountains that are covered in that white stuff, he came. He came down to you and to me, to us. It was a remarkable thing to, to believe. And then we also saw, or to see, I should say, and we saw in our key verse that it says in one nine, John recorded, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, which tells us that there is one true light. There's not your truth, my truth, their truth, her truth, the world's truth. There's one true light in every way and in every subject. And he has come to give that to everyone. And as we looked at a little bit last week, why? Why did he come to give it to everyone? Because we don't have it. 
we don't have the light, despite our, quote, enlightened minds and mindset. We don't have it. And quite frankly, if you're honest with yourself, you know that's true. That's why you're going to self-help and reading all this and reading all that and trying every virtual spirituality under the sun. Why? You're trying to find the truth and light. You don't have it. Just admit it. He does. But we also saw this finally in that message, which was really important. And that is that it's our Savior God who came to us. Right? And John, in the midst of that text, he couldn't help but preach the gospel. Right? Because he's an evangelist. And so are you supposed to be, by the way, and me. And that's why John recorded in verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is nothing that you did, I did, we could do to save ourselves. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Where's the bar? He did it all. Right there, he gives us the gospel. So Jesus came as a child, yeah, and for many reasons. Why? Well, one of the reasons was so that you and I could be and have the right, based on what he accomplished, to become children of God. And some of you may struggle with that, and I know we went over that in the message, but the reality is, is that before Jesus gives you that right, you are not a child of God. No matter what people tell you in this world today, if you're outside of Christ, you're not. Otherwise, the word become would not be there. He gives you the right to become the child of God. And so that's why he came at Christmas. And of course, it was accomplished through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It was secured. And so only those who receive the Christmas gift of Jesus and believe in his name as the only name under heaven by which you and I can be saved will be given this right. So then last week, we tackled the first of the two verses, right? That are our key through this series and the basis for it. John 8, 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so from the full context of those verses, uh, eight, uh, 12 to 30, pardon me, in John 8, we learned a key way that Jesus modeled for us that he was the light of the world. And how was that? He preached a lot. <laughs> he constantly spoke truth. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. He constantly did that. People love to focus on you know, how loving, and caring he was to women and to others, of course. How, about all of the wonderful miracles, but read the Gospels again. They're replete with Jesus speaking. That's why there are red-letter Bibles, right? The words of Christ. He speaks, he speaks, he speaks. He preaches, he proclaims truth. He counters false teaching all the time. And that's what he does. He faces the unbelieving men and women, the skeptics and the Pharisees, who will not believe in him as the great I am. And he, and he continues to do that, to, to basically plead with them. Trust me, I am he. I am the savior of the world. And I've come to invite you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And that leads us now today to hopefully understanding or beginning to understand what he means when he says... You are the light of the world. 
So as a starting point today, I think we need to go back a little bit into John chapter 8 because there, there's an aspect of what was happening at that time that I did not have time in my reasonably long sermon uh, to, to give us some context there. But a very important thing was happening. Actually, on the night before Jesus was, was speaking these words to these Pharisees, remember that? On the night before, an actual celebration took place in the temple. We actually read in John 8.20, this will not be on screen, these words that Jesus spoke in the treasury were in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And the night before, there was a celebration in Jerusalem in the temple, uh, and it was called the Illumination of the Temple. And what happened on that particular evening was there were four very, very large candelabra, which were very, very tall. There were torches on top of them. They were as tall as the walls of the temple, and they were filled with approximately, apparently, 60 liters of oil, and they were lit on fire, and they burned through the evening, and they were there as part of a remembrance. The purpose was to serve as a reminder to the people of Israel of the great pillar of fire, the glorious cloud of God's presence that led the people of Israel out of captivity and through the wilderness, right? And it was during their sojourn in the wilderness and it spread its fiery billows over the tabernacle. It is in front of this on that day while they're probably still smoldering, right? And despite all the other things that Jesus said to them about I am, I am, I am, remember that? It's looking at that. When Jesus says, yeah, you remember that pillar of fire that came between you and the Egyptians or your ancestors and the Egyptians, the cloud that guided you by day in the wilderness and illuminated the night and enveloped the tabernacle, the glorious cloud that filled Solomon's temple? Yeah, that was me. I am the way. I am the light of the world. Listen. There's nobody there who would have mistaken that. It's one of the reasons, as you keep reading after John 8, they just wanted to kill him. He was declaring to be God in the flesh. And they really didn't like that. So he speaks truth. He speaks truth to them. And now we see this burnt candelabras. And at this point, we now return to our text for today. And we ask ourselves, what's he getting at here? Of course, Jesus, that's you. We get that. But I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Well, we need to look at that. One simple relationship we should see between our two key verses I was thinking about is the fact that Jesus says that he is being the light and then declares that us, that we are the light, that we are to be the light. And one thing that it it tells me is, is that they're, in his opinion anyway, is there is real darkness out there. It's not just a metaphor, right? There's real darkness out of there. And that's, again, why he came. Just as we know that the physical world is covered in darkness via clouds, today it's sunshiny. Lord, thank you, right? And at night, it's dark. And if you look up into space, yeah, there's some you know, flickering stars when you can see them at night here in Squamish in the winter. But it's dark up there. And so we know naturally there is that kind of darkness. But again, referred to in Scripture in this way, it's always speaking about spiritual darkness, the kind of darkness that blinds everyone who does not have the light of Christ. What is it blinding them to? Well, Jesus is blinding them to the light, this darkness. So this spiritual darkness results in a terrible distortion of reality. 
for everyone, including for you and I, when we slip back into that darkness. And we can, Christian. We can. We can slip back into that. Despite those who are in darkness, as I've said already, believing that they are the ones who are enlightened. So however, as we saw in our first message, the tragic reality is that the vast majority of men and women prefer the darkness over the light. Can you believe that? Now, Christian, I know you know that from a biblical perspective and you've heard that before, but we really need to press into that and understand that. Listen, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. Whose judgment? His and his father's. This is the truth of what they see when they look down here at us. The light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. These are the words of Christ. Speaking about what he's seeing, he speaks truth. So friends, here's what I truly believe is the most tragic thing about this reality. Tells us that those who are in spiritual darkness actually love it, right? Plus, he tells us that they reject the light and love the darkness because their works, which are the things that they give themselves to, are evil. So there's darkness, and within that darkness, there are things that God believes are evil. And those things that are we, people who are in darkness, do. And yet they love those things. So what's most tragic, Pastor, you ask me? Well, I'm going to tell you. The world is actually really good, if you think about it, at making what is evil look good. And quite frankly, what is good look evil. and more appealing than the light that impacts those who are followers of Jesus. That's what I find most tragic, especially in our current cultural moment, day and age. The prophet Isaiah said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I was thinking of some examples, and I won't get into them today, but I was asking Jeff earlier today about, you know, yeah, okay, well, like, remember when, like, a little while ago, people would come up with these things, words, and, like, that something that was good, they would call sick, right? And, and I remember my dear mother-in-law, who I love very much, she's a very godly woman, and she'd be going, that's terrible. Why are they using that kind of language for something that's good? And I think most young people in the culture would be going, oh, come on. It's not that bad. Excuse me. It's subtle. And so with all of this in mind, it certainly, listen, it makes Jesus' words, you are the light of the world, I would hope, both compelling from a calling and mission perspective, but also very challenging, I believe, for most of us. Me, you, anyone who's a follower of Christ. So now, looking more deeply into this verse, let's see this. One thing that we need to see is this. The original language is in what is called the emphatic tense. And so it's important. Therefore, you should read these words this way. You alone, you alone are the light of the world and no one else. 
hold on. It, this is a little bit like a commissioning statement, isn't it? Go. Make disciples of every nation. Baptize. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? But, 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 but there's a, a little bit of an onus there, too. Do you, do you feel the pressure there a little bit? Come on. I do. Am I the only one here who's got the T-shirt? You alone are the light of the world and no one else. So, so listen, Jesus was not just speaking to his apostles here on that day, by the way. We must see the greater context. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Which begins a little earlier with the Beatitudes, which we'll look at in a second, some of them anyway. And, and it starts in verse 1 with this. Seeing the crowds, right? Jesus, this is seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so, so this is the whole crowd of them. And, and who knows at that time, I mean, there were 120 left on the day that he rose from the dead. But at that time, there were probably two or 300 or maybe more, not many more, who were following him and were considered his disciples. So it's not just his apostles. So on that note, I would say, Jay, this is directed at you and me. This is directed at all of us, at everyone who has received and believed in Christ for their salvation. It is, in fact, as I've said, another sort of commissioning statement in one sense. So now, like we learned about Jesus, he is not the light, light in some purely or metaphorical sense or even detached sense. He is light. It's part of his being, who he is. And so it's very much part of his being and is directly related to him being truth. And so we must think about what that means for you and for I being the light. Because honestly, I, I, can't, I can't believe it's exactly the same way. Can you? I mean, hold on. Uh, there's an old, uh, but I think very practical illustration that might help us get started on this. Um, it's the one where we see Jesus when he was here on earth as, as the sun, the literal sun up in the sky, not the S-O-N, which he was, but the sun that's in the sky, right? That gives light during the day. And then when the day ends, you know what happens, right? The moon comes up, right? However, when the sun has set, the moon appears. The moon which comes up at night represents, in this illustration, you and I. It, it represents the church, and so we might, if we think about it this way, we might see it this way. As we know, the sun is the way. We always, the sun is always out there. We don't always think it's there, even at 2 o'clock some days in Squamish, but it's there, right? We know it is. We can't see it for the clouds, but at night we can't see it, but it's there. We absolutely know that. Always casting its light. But when the moon appears, it is merely, we know this again, a reflection of the sun, right? The light that is reflecting from the sun, shining its light on the earth, in the dark of night. So, so that light, however, is not the moon's light, right? The moon doesn't possess it. It's merely a reflection of the true light, which is the sun. So as with the natural moon, we know that it sometimes appears also as full, right, in the sky. Have you ever seen that? I've been driving up Mamquam or towards the highlands some days to our home, and, you know, like the moon's coming up over the back there, and, like, it's huge. It's massive, and it appears so much closer, doesn't it? Like, it's like, okay, back off, right? It's, it's really big, and it's full. But, but we also know this. The moon also waxes and wanes, right? Sometimes it's just a little crescent, and sometimes we don't even see it, right? It's what they call a new moon. What do you mean it's a new moon? It's not there. <laughs> it's, it has disappeared. 
Sadly, that illustration also applies to the Christian and to the church. Sometimes, and I think God's expectation would be that we would be full moons all the time. That we would be seen on the horizon all the time. That we would never wax and wane, but we do. So the conclusion of this illustration that I want us to see is that in reality, the light that you and I have as Christians does not originate with us, right? Like we understand that. That's a false religion, right, that some people do follow. But that's not us. It is reflective in nature. Now, as good as an illustration as that is, I think it is awesome, right? It's not the full picture. It's actually not the full picture. It gets a little bit more complicated. Jesus continues, but also the scripture tells us that we are indeed light. Or somehow we become light. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.8 wrote these words. For at one time, look, you were darkness. Who is he speaking to? Believers in Jesus Christ. You were darkness, he says. But now, light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Pretty simple, right? Thanks, Paul. Could you unpack that for me? So what he's getting at is this. Just as at one time, you were not a child of God, right? We've already been over that. But have been given the right to become his child. We also at one time were darkness. So please see that. John put it related to Jesus and to God this way in 1 John 1, 5, where he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So in the same way, when you and I were not in Christ, we were darkness. And in, in us then, if we were to translate that verse, there was no light at all. None. I don't know if you can remember before you became a Christian very well, but I sure can. And I'll tell you what, in the years and months before I became a Christian, I didn't think I was in darkness. I was like 19, 20, 21, 22, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, recently graduated from a private boys' high school. I thought I was pretty bright. I, I had figured out this evolution creation thing. I was raised Catholic. I had figured out a lot of things. I thought I really knew what I was doing. <laughs> I became a Christian at 23. I still thought I was, knew what I was doing for a little while until I started reading the scripture and I was like, whoa, hang on a second here. So that whole idea, let me ask you this. How violently opposed to our predominant worldview is that today? Right? For the past 300 to 400 years, since the, quote, psych, so-called enlightenment, which I suggest is actually peaking. The philosophy of the Enlightenment is peaking today in its intensity and arrogance, actually. Men and women see themselves as progressively full of light and wisdom, far beyond everyone who's come before them, far beyond their parents, their grandparents, the the, the sages from long ago, and especially the teachings of the Bible and the church. Far more enlightened. Far more enlightened. Well, again, looking at Paul's verses in 3.8, he says, but now, right? Well, when was that? Well, 
when you have received and believed in the name of Jesus Christ. That when, at that point, you are saved, secured, born again. You're also light. You're light. You are a new creation in Christ. Your very identity has changed. God believes that. That's why his word says that. And then Paul says, Jesus says, now listen, walk like a child of light. Just, just do it. Walk like that. Walk believing that. Walk know, knowing what darkness looks like. Avoid it. Call it out. Point it out. Walk in light. Walk in the light. So the question that then continues to be, how, how then is that? How, how do we do that? How is that possible? Well, there's also this. Before we get to that, I have to point out a couple things. The enemy of your soul and of the church does not want you to either believe that or to go and do that. He doesn't want that at all. Not at all. One way he's doing that more and more in these days is by bringing false teaching and false teachers into the church. They're called, by the way, in Scripture, Jesus called them this, as the Apostle Paul did. They're called wolves. However, in our day and age, they're not just the physical human beings who come in and bring false teaching into the church and and start to influence people and spread false teaching in the church. They're not just those people. They are also, sadly, unfortunately in our world today, the myriad of voices that you can be listening to through social media, bloggers, authors, supposed theologians, by the way, who are mostly discredited, who all start their destructive, deconstructive, pardon me, teaching by, first of all, tearing down the church. I don't know if you've read any of the books or listened to any podcasts or read any of the blogs, but it always starts that way. It always, have you been to a church that believed this? <laughs> have you ever thought about a God of the Old Testament who did this? It, it, it's always about questioning God's word, but also tearing down the church. And so, friends, I, I have to tell you, as your pastor, and I know this is maybe not sounding like a Christmas message, but I hope it is, it grieves my heart very, very much to see and hear the utter false teaching that many, many young Christians are giving themselves to. I heard this on a podcast in the last couple of weeks by a pastor who I respect, who said, you know, there used to be a day, it's been a while ago now, where members of my church would come to me all the time and ask me about a book or an author or about a podcast and say, hey, pastor, what do you think about this? And his comment was, it doesn't happen much anymore. So what's the remedy? Well, it's very simple, actually. Read your Bibles. Just just read your Bible. Read the Bible. Much more than you do read these other things, right? Secondly, here's a good one. Read the real history of the church, right? Read the real history of the church, Read the biographies and the historical, truly faithful men and women who have been beacons of light in this world. And and listen, in doing that, watch what the Spirit of the living God does within your own heart, the encouragement that that brings to you. These men and women who are mostly passed on and gone to be with the Lord are inspirations 
to be learned from, not just discarded. We're to learn from them. And that will help you, my friend, walk in light. It'll give you the confidence that you need. So now to the question that we asked before. Jesus does give us a few examples we're going to look at. First, he says this in chapter uh, 5:14b to 15. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. So what Jesus does here, as he's teaching his disciples, and therefore you and I, is to, of course, compare a city on a hill with a lamp on a stand in a home. Again, the words used here by Jesus are emphatic. They're emphatic. A city that is set on a hill cannot, must not, will not be hidden. Cities are strong and powerful, even in our cultural world today. Next, Jesus uses a very familiar illustration. We've been using an example of that on our graphic for our series, The Light of the World. In those days, often it would be a candle, would be the light. And how ridiculous would it be to light candles in your home and put them under a basket? I mean, two things would happen. Number one, those candles wouldn't provide too much light to the home, but there's a good possibility that they would go out for what? Well, lack of oxygen. They would actually potentially go out. And so the idea here is, Jesus says, put it up on a stand, up high like a city on a hill, and let its light be for the whole house. The whole house. Well, again, before we get to even more good news, well, let me put it this way. The principal point I think then Jesus is giving in this case uh, with a city on the hill is that its primary purpose obviously is what? It's to give light. It's to give light to the surrounding city and countryside as well as to the whole house. So the metaphor illustration then applies to how we are the light of the world. We too are to be light. That is in us to illuminate our households, the household of Christ, of God, the church, and of course our community all around us, the world and place we live in. The how then is what? Well, It's by following the model of Christ. (laughs) One of the reasons why he came and led that public ministry was to say, follow me and I'll show you how to be fishers of men. Follow me. Follow what I do. And what did he do? He spoke light. He spoke light. He spoke light constantly. He spoke truth. He proclaimed it. So secondly, as we discovered last week, he modeled being the light by proclaiming the gospel of kingdom, by preaching repentance, and in doing so, he did what light does, right? It revealed what the darkness hides. This too, church, we must do, all of us, if we are truly his rightful children and the light of the world. And so again, I don't want to get too deeply into this because I'm someone who doesn't like to get into politics in the pulpit. But I have to tell you, I'm greatly concerned in our day and age because besides what I've talked about before, uh, about what's going on in our cultural moment, there's something that I think you need to be aware of. There has been something going on for 40 to 50 weeks where our culture has been basically saying two things. They're basically saying there is a public and a private world or what's called a secular and a sacred, right? And the things that you believe as Christians, what you teach in your churches or in your homes, your kids, fine. Keep it there. That's fine. Until now. Friends, it's changing. It's changing dramatically. I don't know if you're all aware of a bill called C4. 
that's been unanimously passed in our parliament. Its initial purpose is great. It's to outlaw a form of therapy that's terrible, that no Christian who truly knows the gospel would ever approve. But according to our denomination leaders and the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, it's far too broad. And what it's potentially going to do is put someone like myself at risk of prison if I preach certain parts of the Bible. Christian counselors, the same thing. If, if you want to counsel people that marriage is between a man and a woman, and there's only two identities, male and female, you could be potentially charged under this new law. And so, this up. Well, I'm bringing it up for this reason. There's the potential that we could go dark. That's what's wanted. I want to encourage you that we can't let that happen. Please hear me. Please hear me. I, I have to say that from time to time because I can't tell you how many times in 13 years when I've said, please hear me, I have not been heard. Right? It's somehow it's come out differently. I am not saying go out and point fingers at people, be unkind to people, judge people, be hard and harsh on people. But we can't go dark if we're going to be the light of the world. So let, remind, let me remind all of us of the context of our passage today. Jesus starts off his teaching to the disciples, his casting of light with the Beatitudes, right? He starts off with that, and he, and he starts off in the Beatitudes with the whole idea of, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, meaning those of you who have realized that you are sinful and dark and have repented of that, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say, blessed are you who mourn over your sins and these things. Blessed are you who, who are meek in temperament. Blessed are you, or we, pardon me, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, pure in heart, and who are peacemakers. Blessed are you. Absolutely. But then he concludes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the question is, are you and I going to be persecuted if we go and be light? No question. Jesus was. The apostles and disciples were. And so my question is, been persecuted lately? No? Why not? That's our call. That's our call if we go into this world and we proclaim light. So, in conclusion this morning, let me remind, remind you again what we learned last week what the key was that Jesus modeled for us on how to be light in this world. It was by speaking truth. You have friends, you have neighbors, you have family members, you have co-workers, you have people that you meet, that you witness to. Speak truth. Don't be afraid. Find ways. Holy Spirit says, I'll give you the words. <laughs> Trust that he knows what he's doing. Just do our part. Proclaim the truth. 
And as in the case of Jesus, it was often, very often, that he did that. So I want to read for you in conclusion this morning a passage that I, I personally take as my, the call of my life. I love this passage because it reminds me every day of who I am in Christ. And I hope it will for you too. It certainly was for Paul. These are his words in Romans 10, verses 13 to 17. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how as they believe in him of whom, how will they, pardon me, believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That word probably should be translated proclaiming. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Isn't that our refrain half the time? Oh, I've done it. I keep preaching. I keep telling people. But it seems like nobody believes. Paul ends with, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So church, my singular hope for us in 2022 is that we will dedicate ourselves to the word of God and that we will dedicate ourselves to sharing the word of God as light in this world. Jesus concludes our text for today by saying, in the exact same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Pray with me, would you?